This episode is brought to you by the all-new NAD M10 V2. Imbued with the renowned amplification expertise of NAD, the M10 V2 combines audiophile nuance with state-of-the-art high-res multi-room functionality to deliver an incredible listening experience. Alrighty, welcome back everybody to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. Joining me once again from across the Atlantic Ocean from New Jersey is Michael Lavonia <laughs> of Twittering Machines. Welcome back again, Michael. Uh, good to be here on a sunny New Jersey day, finally. Oh, wow. Here it's um, dark, wet, cloudy, and it's uh, yeah, grim. It's just shit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, we've just gone through that here, but right. the sun is out today, so. Well, I'm I'm pleased for you. I'm pleased. It, it looks yeah, it looks bright from what I can see in your background. Um, yeah. This is this is the, I guess listeners should know this is the first podcast we've done to date where we've got, kind of got a mini Skype call connection going at the same time, mm. so that yeah, just to make the conversation a bit more natural, a bit easier. And that's yeah. one of the changes that we're making for 2022. So I can do things like this. You can do things like that, and people will not know that you're flipping me off right now, <laughs> unless I tell them. <laughs> it's very New Jersey of you. <laughs> mm. um, another change we're making to this podcast for this year is that at the front of every episode, we're going to be going through some of the new products that have been announced in the preceding few weeks. So today, eventually, we're going to talk about DACs, and Michael and I are going to pick our favorite DACs at various price points, hopefully with some justification as to why. <laughs> but before we do that, Michael, there's, we've just, well, I guess about a week ago, CES kind of ran in Vegas um, mm. in very weird circumstances with lots of people making videos with masks on, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, but we still got a flurry of new product announcements, right? Yeah. And I guess... Yeah, well, there, were quite, yeah. there were quite a few and, and some that were actually interesting. Right. Well, look, let's start with one of them then, okay? So we've got the JBL, the casually named JBL 4305P. <laughs> Right, which is a new loudspeaker from JBL. As we know, JBL is owned by Harman, who in turn is owned by Samsung. Now, mm. this well, actually, before we before we get going on what it is, I was speaking to JBL's PR guy in the UK yesterday, and I was saying, look, can you speak to the Californian team and ask them if they can send across some lifestyle shots? Because whenever I see a press release for a new JBL speaker, it just shows the new speaker as a, a render. And so it's on a plain background, and I never have any idea how big the loudspeaker is until I start really digging through the press release. Right? Yeah. They well, they didn't. They did not include dimensions in the press release. Correct. So I yeah. I honed in on the five and a quarter inch mid bass driver, yeah, which kind of gave me some clue as to roughly how big the speaker is going to be. So it's uh, I guess we call it a typical sized stand mount right i suppose on the smaller side yeah on the smaller well, side well, five okay. inch driver so maybe it's eight inches wide do you think i don't mm. know 
Yeah, possibly. It's yeah. I guess looking at the photos, which people on a podcast can't see, but looking <laughs> at the photos, yeah, it could be an eight-inch wide front baffle, and then that five and a quarter-inch mid-base driver, which we know is made of fiber composite. So, I guess that's kind of papery. But JBL are also known for doing these sort of horn-loaded compression drivers, right? And for the tweeter, yeah. So it's got one of those. <laughs> now, the where it sort of diverges from JBL's normal MO is that this loudspeaker is an active loudspeaker. So it's got amplifiers inside, so obviously one for the mid-bass driver, one for the tweeter. So it's got, I think they're both class D, 25 watts on the tweeter compression driver, 125 watts on the mid-bass driver, right? So it's active loudspeaker, which I don't know whether JBL have done a, an active loudspeaker like this one for the sort of, well, it's not just the consumer market this is aimed at. I think this is also aimed for, so aimed at studio people. Yeah, but, that mm. it, it has that heritage, the studio monitor kind of heritage. Right. right. And on the back, there's like a, to get music into it, there's like a, um, a combination XLR quarter inch TRS phono connector socket. So you can use it like a traditional sort of active loudspeaker, right? Feed it an analog source. But where this story gets really spicy is that there's also async USB on the back. There's a Toslink input. So it's obviously got a DAC inside, although I don't think they say what kind of DAC it is. doesn't really matter, I guess. Mm. It's 24-bit, 192 capable. It does MQA. But I think... Where I, I kind of really pricked up my metaphorical ears for this story was that this is also a streaming loudspeaker. So it has a streaming board inside that does Rune Ready, Apple AirPlay 2, Chromecast, and Bluetooth. And I thought that was great. You know, I thought, wow, this is a, you know, it's kind of like a JBL's take on what they might do in the KEF LS50 Wireless 2 space. Did you mm -hmm. think that, Michael, or did you think of something else? Or Yeah. Um, no, I did think that it certainly enters that space because of all these features and functions that it offers. Mm. But in that, that kind of classic, you know, JBL horn body. So that's right. a fun, it's an interesting mix of old and new, if you mm. will, to my mind. And also the fact that it's such a small um such a small speaker relative to the, that line i mean that line goes mm -hmm. all the way I don't, I don't know if they it's part of the what did they call it the it's not heritage series jbl no that's clips it's something yeah i i, I forget synthesis? what it's called is it synthesis yes that's the that's the sort of the sub brand for the uh, the higher end speakers that they make yeah, and that's where a lot of these these horn loaded uh, that look very similar to this new mm. uh, smaller version sit. I mean, I, I have a thing I have to say. This is a little kind of a, a veering off tangent, but I have a, a thing for salesman samples. Uh, this is something you could look up on eBay. But you know, back in the day when it was door to door salesmen, salesmen would carry around miniature versions of things like washing machines. Caskets. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know anything about this. <laughs> yeah, so there are these they're miniature versions of things that you could carry door to door. And so this new, uh, it's one of the things that crossed my mind when I saw that little JBL. It's like a salesman sample of one of the larger, you know, speakers. Because ah. it, it's like a shrunken little version, which is kind of cool. I do wonder, I mean, because I when I saw them, I'm thinking, oh, desktop. But I don't, I wouldn't think that's maybe the way you want to go because of the horn. Usually you want a little distance. Yeah. I mean, I also think if they're the, if they're the same size as the LS50 Wireless 2 or thereabouts, mm. they're going to be too big for all but the most enormous desktops. Yeah. I mean, I have a thing for um, having the right size speaker on the desktop, and invariably it's something maybe with a three-inch driver not that's even a five. Have. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I have, yeah. That's my own personal take on it. Other people will feel differently, but I don't I don't think this is going to work on a desktop. I, I see this as like an apartment speaker, mm. um, home studio, if you you know record music. Yeah. But but I guess we should also mention the price because that also puts it right next to Kef's in that it is twenty two hundred US dollars per pair. Mm. So it's you know it's competitively priced. It looks like a classic JBL speaker, streaming loudspeaker. I think it's you know has the potential to be, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, the only knock I have mm. on those JBL speakers, even the higher end models, thirteen thousand dollar models, is they're wrapped in vinyl. Like the, you know ah. the wood, even the wood that's vinyl. It's not even a it's not even a laminate. Which it's is not even a veneer. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, that's, hang on, though. But this one, apparently, because I'm looking at my notes here, it says this is a, a three-quarter inch thick MDF cabinet, mm. and it carries a real wood veneer finish. Oh, it does. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Uh, because the vinyl looks like vinyl. I've seen those, uh, some of the larger speakers. Right. So I've just yeah. saved you from a schoolboy error there, Michael. So you, you can thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was in school, we used to talk about vinyl a lot. Her, her, her. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Shall we move on to the, the next uh, news item that sort of caught sure. our attention? Do you want to take this one? Yeah, absolutely. So Cambridge Audio announced two turntables. One mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to talk about is the Alva ST, mm. which is the lower priced of the two. It mm -hmm. comes in at around $1,000. It's like nine ninety yeah. nine dollars change. Um, and this is a, a belt drive table. It mm -hmm. comes with an Audio-Technica uh, moving magnet cartridge. Mm -hmm. And the model is the ATVM95E, which would cost you about $70 if you were to buy it separately. Mm. Um, and I guess the interesting parts of the Alva ST are its connectivity. <coughs> mm -hmm. Excuse me. It has an inbuilt uh, phono stage that you can bypass. So you can go out, uh, line out, you could go mm -hmm. phono out, mm -hmm. or you could go out via Bluetooth. Right. Is, okay. It's very unusual. It 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 is. It's uh, you know they tout it in the in the press you know and in the marketing uh, literature as a convenience feature you know specifically for people who have uh, Bluetooth capable speakers. Mm. Yeah. You know, so if you've got some little Bluetooth capable uh, separate you know 
a pair of speakers or even a one box solution, you know, you can just pair these up. No wires mm. needed. Um, it is, you know, certainly analog purists are cringing already at the notion of sending an analog signal over Bluetooth. But hey, I don't think that's the target market. But the thing is, you, but I think it's, it's important to point out here to those guys who kind of bristle at the idea of a Bluetooth output on a turntable is that you don't have to use it. It has yes. phono out, as you said, line out as well. So you've, you've a choice, basically. It's like no one is holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to stream Bluetooth now. You know, you must do that. I mean, it, as I've said before, and I think I said this in my coverage of the other turntable they announced, mm. is that sometimes you just want to slum it. Sometimes you just want I, I think <laughs> I think about this in terms of like Bluetooth headphones. Like if I owned an Alva ST, I might just one day just want to put my Bluetooth headphones on and stream to yeah. those and sit on the couch. Because mm. I'm not always an audiophile of <laughs> every minute of every day. You know, like sometimes I just don't care about the sound quality. And sometimes I just want things to be easy. But Cambridge cover off all bases here. They cover off the lazy. Yes, mood, absolutely. Right? Yeah, and I also, think it's a great uh, option to have. I, yeah. I agree. Right. I mean, so that option is also in their higher end table, which is an update of the the Alva mm. TT. TT? TT. And this is the V2 version. And mm. I think, you know, when that that first came out, I think they took a bit of flack for not being able to turn the Bluetooth completely off, which you can now with a new version. You can switch off the Bluetooth radio. And I think also on the original Alva TT, it came with the with Cambridge's own high output MC cartridge. But mm -hmm. I think that was pretty much fixed. So you or rather the signal was routed through an inbuilt phono stage that you couldn't bypass. But on the new version, you can. So, like the, the uh, well, you can bypass the Bluetooth, and you can you can bypass it on the ST as well, or, right. or dis, yeah, disable. But you can also bypass the, the inbuilt phono stage as well. Is, is what I was exactly. going to say. Yeah, yeah. There's right. a little so, switch on the back. Yeah. Right. So you have a choice. But I think with this new TT, the V2, mm. on the original there was a Riga tone arm. I don't know which one. On the on the new. TT, the V2, it's a different kind of tone arm, which has a detachable head shell. So mm -hmm. you can swap out cartridges really easily. You couldn't do that with the original. So this one's definitely more flexible, although I don't know the specification of this new tone arm on the on the TT V2. But mm. I guess yeah. that will come come to light in good time. Yeah, I'll also mention that um to at least to, to my eyes. The, these new Cambridge tables are very nice looking. They are, yes. It's a die-cast aluminum platter, so it's a, you know it's that silver color with a matte black uh, sub-base or mm -hmm. base. Right. And very simple. You know, there's a push-button uh, speed control on the top, a 30, one button for 33, one for 45. You know, so very simple, very sleek. Uh, in line, to my, to my mind, with... Uh, like the Edge series, you know, that very nicely designed, yeah. rounded edges. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I like the way they look. Yeah, me too. I guess one thing I should mention as well, which I have mentioned so far, is that the TT, the more expensive one, is not belt drive, it's direct drive. Yeah. 
For sure. Yeah. And what is the price of the TTV2? I thought it was about a thousand more than the ST. Is that right? Is it 1900? Yeah. It's 2000 euros, $2,000. Okay. okay. And, yeah. and 1700 British pounds. So, yeah, take your pick from those. But yeah, it's two, roughly two grand. Yeah. Okay. So it's a bit more than the original. But I guess the improvements they've loaded in would hmm. justify that price point. I, I do want to add, and this is one of my little John's hobby horse issues that comes up time and again, and people are like, oh, John, with this Bluetooth talk again. It's important to note that the Bluetooth output on these turntables has Qualcomm's Aptex as the advanced level codec. So it'll have yeah. SBC, Qualcomm Aptex. Now, if you're streaming to Apple earphones, it will stream using SBC, not the Aptex, because there's no Aptex in Apple uh, headphones or earphones. And mm -hmm. it's also the same with the latest, the very latest generation of Sony noise-canceling headphones, the XM4. There's no Aptex in those either. So just know that if you're looking to do that thing I mentioned earlier of streaming direct to a pair of noise-canceling headphones, if you want the best Bluetooth possible in terms of audio quality, you're going to want to be using a, a different headphone to the Apple or the Sony. So there's mm -hmm. the Bowers and Wilkins headphone. There's a couple of others. I don't think Bose does Aptex. I could be wrong. I'm just you know, thinking on my feet here. But it's just something to bear in mind if you are really into the idea of streaming Bluetooth from a turntable. Yeah. All righty. Let's, um, let's move on to the next news item. Now, I know nothing about this one, Michael, so you're going to have to talk us through this one. This is a new series of loudspeakers from YG Acoustics. Oh, sure. Yeah, so it's called the Peak Series. Mm -hmm. And the idea for this, and the series includes two stand mounts, three towers, and a sub. So, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a, very, it's a complete line, and it's, let's just say, um, it's YG's new entry-level line. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the... The smallest stand mount is eighty five hundred a pair, and for YG, that's that's a new price point, right? Yeah, because they're they're known as to be uber high end. Yeah, I mean, prior to this line, I believe that the Carmel Two was the least expensive YG speaker, and that was twenty four mm -hmm. grand. Holy smokes! Okay, so yeah, and up to and the top of the line, the YG Sonia. Uh, 15, I think, was the model. Uh, that was like 265 grand. Uh-huh. So, you know, yeah, you're talking very pricey. So, yeah, the YG Peak Series, um, you know, while it's every speaker in the line does use the YG driver. So that's the Forge Core Tweeter and the Billet Core driver. I mean, they're funny mm -hmm. names, but these are machined drivers, yeah. Are they machined from uh, aluminum, right? A aluminium. Yeah. Well, the billet core. The, I'm sorry. The billet core driver. Yeah, is machined from uh, from aluminum. The forge core tweeter. It's a, it's a bit confusing because actually that's a, a combination of elements. Some mm. are machined, some aren't. But in any event, it is. It's the drivers that are used in the upper range models. Okay. So, you know, it's true trickle down. Um, where I guess they're. Um, they're getting their cost savings from her in the cabinet construction. Mm -hmm. So right. all the YG upper end models are all aluminum. 
cabinets, mm-hmm. external, internal bracing, blah, 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 blah. These new Peak Series have an aluminum front baffles, and then the bodies are made from uh, a, a resin, mm-hmm. a fine resin. Um, and there's still some aluminum internal bracing, but so that's, I guess, where they're, where they're uh, you know, able to cut some, some cost yeah, as in yeah. the cap construction. Um, so, uh, you know, um, it's interesting because, you know, certainly YG is, is got a reputation out there. They've been around a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. it is interesting to note that the company was sold in 2017. Ah, okay. LK capital and the YG's founder and chief designer, Yoav, uh, I believe I'm not sure how his last name is pronounced. I've never heard it pronounced, but it's G E V A Yoav. I always mm-hmm. just call him Yoav. Anyway, he left the company in 2020. Ah, okay. So maybe this is a maybe the start of a sort of slightly new direction for them. Then it is, and also they they did come out at the end. I think it was like the fourth quarter of last year with an um, an active system mm-hmm. with a separate controller box. And that was definitely a new, you know, direction. So yeah, I think these, the new owners, you know, are moving things in in a direction that may not have happened if, well, certainly did not happen while Yoav was at the helm. Right, right. I mean, this is, I have to admit, this is a company I don't really keep track of, mainly because until now, their loudspeakers were well beyond my sort of purview when it comes to pricing. I mean, anything above 20 grand, I'm like, oh, it's got to be really, really interesting for me, to me, for me to kind of cover it. But it's interesting that yeah, pulled it beneath 10. Yeah. Wow, okay. Um, all right, let's move it along again. I have got something also from a very well-known heritage brand, although I will say that I don't feel the heritage here because I didn't grow up with it. So... I guess Mark Levinson was a big noise in the USA, <laughs> right? As a brand yeah. of amplifier. But I don't, I mean, I'm sure British people listening or Australians listening will go, well, no, it's also a big noise where we live. But for me, maybe just because it was just so high end, I didn't go near it. But this is quite interesting because Mark Levinson is now owned also by Harman, right? Yeah. It's one of the Harman brands. And this year on the back of CES, they announced their first active noise-canceling Bluetooth headphone. Mm. I'll come to the price in a minute because the price is what makes it really special. But it's called the the number 5909, and it's got 30 hours of playback time, 34 if you don't use the active noise cancellation, which is fairly standard, I think, for active noise-canceling Bluetooth headphone. It runs... The advanced audio codecs, so it's got AAC, LDAC, Aptex, so check for those, which again, it isn't really, you know, stepping out of the ordinary there. Mm. It's impossible to do so, really, because that's, I mean, AAC, LDAC, and Aptex are really the three you want to cover if you want to be comprehensive. Um, It has environment-adaptive noise cancellation with wind reduction. We get that on the Sony. We get that on the Apple AirPods Max, even though it's probably not called that. And we also get a quick charge option. Again, nothing special there. Mm. Six hours of playtime from a 15-minute quick charge. Those quick charge options tend to vary from headphone to headphone, but they're all roughly like if you juice it for a few minutes, you get far more 
you know, payback than you've juiced it for. USB-C socket for charging. It's got a carry case. And, you know, when you think about all of those features, you think, well, that's pretty standard for an active noise-canceling Bluetooth headphone, right? Mm -hmm. I know they won a Red Dot Award for the design. I don't really have a lot of information about that. I mean, the, the press release made a big noise about luxury materials, but again, they all tend to do that. It's it's really hard to comment on that until you get them in your hands or put them on your head because more than any other product that I can think of, how how a headphone looks and feels is so personal because you wear it. I mean, you don't wear speakers or an amplifier, but you wear headphones. And so the look and the feel are, for me, I think, more crucial than any other product. I can't think mm-hmm. of another one that's, you know, where the aesthetics are, you know, you'd probably let shit slide with a speaker, but with headphones, if it protrudes too much or there's a bit of a pressure point on the headband, you're like, nah, I can't live with this. So yeah. I, ca- I can't really speak to that too much. I do know that it's got a four centimeter dom- dynamic driver. I do know, actually, this is interesting, that the, the driver's output is tuned to the Harman curve. So the Harman curve mm. is, is <clears> a target curve that was kind of developed or dis- well, yeah, developed by Sean Olive at Harman. Um, in that, this is the the, freq- the the frequency response that the majority of people in blind listening t- tests favoured. Mm. So at the Harman Labs, they did a uh, a bunch of tests. I think it was about eight or nine years ago. So they pulled a bunch of people into their their laboratories. I think it was mostly men. I think the first test, the sample size was about 70. And they obviously invited people to comment on the sound profiles of different headphones, obviously not sighted, so nobody could see what headphone they were wearing. And according to Sean Olive and the uh, the Harman guys, most people preferred this frequency response, yeah, most of the time. So it's called the Harman Curve for that reason. I'm not going to go into too much details about it. I mean, it has a kind of like a rising base response. There are a couple of peaks and troughs at various points, basically to compensate for how sound waves sort of interact with the ear. Now, I'm not fully across this to speak about it off the top of my head. I'd have to do some digging, but you can Google Harman Curve. And actually, Mm. the thing is, the weird thing is, is there are, according to Sean Olive, there are three so I should call him his proper name. He's Dr. Sean Olive. There are three Harman target curves, and we don't really know which one they're talking about when they say it's you know aimed at the Harman target curve. But the Mark Levinson number 5909 Bluetooth headphone has been tuned f- according to the Harman target curve. So I think this is interesting because I think we're seeing more and more headphones come out like this. It's also worth repeating that the Harman target curve only addresses a headphone's frequency response. Mm. Other factors like detail retrieval, dynamics, clarity, head stage width, don't come under that uh, measured response as far as I'm aware. In fact, I'm not aware of any measurement that can tell us about dynamics or detail. But if you do know about a measurement that can tell us about dynamics or detail, I'd be happy to hear from you. Just use the... the uh, contact box on my website because i'd love to know what they are if they exist and where we can see them but generally headphone people tend to be very focused should i put it that way on the frequency response of a headphone 
So when they're talking about measurements, generally they're talking about a frequency response. I think it's, it, it tells you a lot about the headphone and how it might sound, assuming a proper fit and assuming you know, you've got everything else in order, but I don't know whether it tells you, like, like I said, like about dynamics or about detail retrieval. Anyway, I'm going off, <laughs> off track. <laughs> right. And so, you have, and you haven't hit the punchline yet. <laughs> no, I haven't hit the punch. I'm going to hit, I'm going to give you the punchline now. Right. Because <laughs> what really separates this headphone out from you say, I mean, Apple AirPods max are 500 and something euros here in Germany. They're expensive. The Sony's are like half that. But this 5999 from Mark Levinson, $999 US. So I guess that's what sets them apart from the competition. Because apart from the harm and target curve, everything else is kind of similar to the competition. Now, maybe these will be the best sounding Bluetooth headphone ever made. I don't know. I've not heard them. I guess, mm. again, we'll, we'll find out in time. But I think it was interesting. This was an interesting news story for me. Well, yeah, one thing about Mark Levinson um, is it was, it, it is, I guess it remains a very successful brand. Mm -hmm. And I mean that literally, branding, brand, brand. Yeah, so the mm. Mark Levinson name, Mark Levinson's is long gone from that company. Yes. He sold the rights to his name. He went on to do other mm. things mm. Uh, after in, in hi-fi, cello, and, but... Uh, Mark Levinson's doesn't have anything to do with Mark Levinson these days, right? But the the brand uh, remains strong, so I would suggest that you know, in part, you know, people are willing to pay a bit more be because the you know the brand it used to mean something. I mean, my father in the eighties when he was you know finally decided and had the disposal income to spend some real cash on hi fi, he bought mm. a Mark Levinson amp. He was an engineer, so you know, uh, whatever uh, you know, he had interest. Uh, he would he would explore products on a few different levels, but mm. all to say that the brand has been around a very long time. So the Mark Levinson brand was built on amplification. Am I right? Yes, and, and I guess continues to be because they just also released a, a crazy expensive pair of mono blocks that they're only going to make a hundred pairs of. Yeah, and there's an integrated, which I've heard good things about, a, a, mm. a fairly uh, new integrated. Yeah, but my yeah, amplification was the uh, the initial claim to fame. Right. So this is a bit of a, a sort of a diversion for them, I guess. The mm. one thing I worry about with this headphone is that because it's so expensive, and because it's attached to a very strong brand, if it doesn't live up to expect price expectations, so if it doesn't blow the Apple AirPods Max out of the water, Michael, <laughs> if it doesn't do that, if it doesn't, you know, <laughs> if it doesn't mm. destroy them, it's only going to fuel this sort of conspiratorial idea that high-end audio brands just slap a badge on anything and charge a premium for doing so because mm. they can, because of brand's power. Mm. And, you know, you might look at the Apple AirPods Max like that. I have a pair. I think they are absolutely fantastic sound-wise. I mm. have a few quibbles about the way they fit on fit my head. They seem to hang down the sides of the ears more than they sort of cup the ears. 
Hmm. And but the sound quality is unbelievable. I think it's much better in terms of clarity than the Sony. Um, the low end punch hmm. is much weightier. So what I guess also what I'm saying here is this Mark Levinson headphone has a lot to live up to, and yeah. the price is going to make <laughs> make it sweat some. So I really do hope that this is the best sounding active noise cancellation headphone on the planet. I really do. Mm. Um, because Oh, you should review one. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, this is one of the reasons I was talking to JBL's, um, well, Harman's PR in the UK, because I was thinking about it. Mm. But I don't know. I, I guess I'm going to hold and, and see what a couple of other people say first. I'd love to know what Brent Butterworth mm. thinks at Soundstage, mm. because he does measurements as well. I really enjoy reading his coverage. Um, he's very thorough. He, you know, he talks a lot. Actually, he talks a lot about the Harmon curve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was I just going to mention right. that. Yeah. Right. It would be, I'd be very curious yeah, to see what he had to say about them as well, because he, uh, I think is a, uh, is proponent of that school too strong a way to say it. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, he uh, is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but, but to be fair to Brent, he also says that there are, headphones that don't follow the Harman curve, which he also likes. Mm, so, sure. you know, like, I guess that's the thing. It's not prescriptive. It's just suggestive. It's like an indicator of strong consumer preference rather than any kind of indicator of, I don't know, neutrality is what people like to kind of think they're getting when they get like a, a, a tonally well-balanced and subjectively pleasing headphone that, and if it follows the Harman curve, then, Sorry, I didn't mean to make this whole podcast about the Harman <laughs> curve, but it's just, I, I find it really interesting because, you know, obviously there are going to be headphones that deviate from the curve that we're going to like, but it does seem from Dr. Sean Olive's research seems to just suggest that there is a frequency response that would appeal to a large number of consumers. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether, you know, I think the second... The second test group was a bit larger than the first 71. I think it was a couple of hundred people. I just don't know whether that's just a very American-centric take on sound quality because mm. – so, like, also this week, I haven't written about this, so I'm not in entirely sure of the details, but Hi-Fi Man updated their $500 planar headphone. I think it's called the XS. X and then S, not, not XS. And one thing that – I kind of know about Hi-Fi Man headphones is they have a little bit of a lift in the treble. Mm. So they kind of give a little bit, they give the illusion of more detail, but they kind of play on spaciousness and um, yeah, the illusion of more detail retrieval and, and kind of layer separation, things like that. But the reason they do that, I think, is because Dr. Fang Bian, who's you know, the, the man behind Hi-Fi Man, has said that his consumers interesting because it's a Chinese company, his consumers like a lift in the treble. That's what they're asking for, apparently. And mm. why would why would he deliver something they don't like? So, of course, it makes sense for him to do that. But I, 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 I mention this because it could be that there are cultural differences between preferred sound profiles of headphones. I don't know. Yeah, I would... 
I, I do not find that hard to believe. It makes sense. And I would even go a step further and say that also applies to in-room, you know, to listening to speakers as well. I mean, there's, it seemed to be some, uh, some, you know, some cultural norms that, uh, that don't travel across borders so much with uh, preferences for hi-fi gear. Right, because the LS35A is super popular in, I think, in China, in Asia generally. And that is a bass shy, mid-range focused, and quite treble lively loudspeaker. Mm. It has many other kind of fantastic qualities. And obviously it has a strong BBC heritage and it was designed to, you know, to be very good at reproducing the, the human voice. But it seems to be ever popular in Asia. In fact, like a, a couple of companies in the last few years have restarted making them again, like Falcon Acoustics. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other ones. I think there's a, is there a MoFi version of Falcon Acoustics or does MoFi have their own? Yeah, there is a, there is a Falcon MoFi edition. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. LS35A. I just, I think and Rogers, uh, yeah, ro there's yes. a Rogers, isn't there? The Rogers, there is. right. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, there's a Rogers right. as well. Yeah. So it's interesting that those are, you know, sort of back in production. So obviously there must be demand for a loudspeaker that is a long way from being full range. Mm. And maybe it's because it plays better in smaller rooms. And as we know, in a lot of Asia, there's high density um, apartment buildings, high density living. So maybe it, it, it's, maybe it's forced by that. I'm not quite sure. But maybe it's a cultural taste. I just don't know. Yeah. Fashion. It could be fashion as well, right? Well, there is, I mean, it's a, it's another, um, uh, speaker design that has a real heritage mm. and history and, you know, from its, its, uh, origins in the recording studio, mm. you know, so it has that appeal as well. Right. I do want to say, I mean, I, I think it's worth kind of just highlighting this notion of, um, the Harmon, not only the Harmon curve, but the idea that, you know, what Harmon was after was finding the, the response with their headphones that would appeal to the largest audience. Mm -hmm. And so they developed this, you know, they did all these tests and came up with this mm -hmm. curve. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't, this isn't every designer's goal. There are there are companies hi-fi companies out there who aren't looking to appeal to the broadest audience. There are hi-fi companies out there who are looking to build a product that they like the sound of. I guess that is true. And I guess if you're a niche manufacturer, then you can do that. But let's yeah. not forget, I mean, obviously Harman is part of a larger group. Well, Samsung owned. So yeah, they're, well, they're making, of, they're making, yes. right. So that they, because I know that the Harman target curve was applied to the, the Galaxy Buds, Bluetooth earbuds, which, hmm. you know, would have sold probably more units than all hi fi, high end audio products put together yes. in, right. in a year, right? Because they're like the Samsung's take on the AirPod, basically. Yeah. I, yeah. I did buy a, I did buy a, um, a pair of the Plus. Because I some actually somebody sent me a a message about this. He says you should check out these Bluetooth earphones because they're Harman Curve tuned. You should have a listen. I did. I, they irritated me in so many other ways that I didn't care about the frequency response. Yeah, yeah. They didn't. Well. They didn't. They kind of broke up. Uh, you know, fairly what I consider to be fairly low-ish volumes. 
They were dynamically compressed a little bit, which mm. is to be expected at the price point, I guess. Maybe I'm being super nitpicky, but I guess I'm, I, I, think, I think what you're saying and maybe what I'm trying to suggest is that having a headphone with the Harman target curve applied, it's not a magic bullet. Yes. You know, people love magic bullets. They love them <laughs> because they think it's like a one-shot answer to audio nirvana, which is absolute rot. Right, it's just no. <laughs> There's no such thing as a magic bullet. But right. I, th I think people kind of, when when somebody writes about a certain topic like this, or I don't know, like the bit perfect, right? Bit perfect yes. audio transmission. When somebody writes a detailed article about this, they go into a great deal of depth as they should, mm. which is which is interesting. But that depth inherently sacrifices breadth. So they can't cover like necessarily where this bit perfectness or Harman curve fits into the grand scheme of either either streamer design or headphone design, and therefore people can lose sight of that bigger picture very easily, and they become very hung up on that one thing, mm. right? They become hung up. Like a, a guy emailed me yesterday, mm. um, pointing out or asking me if I knew about the Sonos ports digital output being not bit perfect. And I haven't replied to him yet, but in my head I'm thinking there are far greater things to worry about within that Sonos port than whether <laughs> its digital output is bit, bit perfect. I mean, the DAC isn't going to be very good. I know from experience with the Sonos Connect that the digital output is not great. Wired for Sound did a modified version that mm. upsamples everything to 96, therefore not bit, bit perfect, but it sounds better than the original Sonos Connect, obviously that's discontinued now. But I guess what I'm saying is that this dude was very kind of, seemed to be very focused on the bit perfectness of the digital signal. And maybe he hadn't stopped to consider that the digital signal itself might not be great, might not be a very high quality. Yeah, right? yeah. It's almost as if these concepts or, or ideals attached to concepts take over um, and 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 guide some people's uh, um, search. It's what they look for. You hear people talk about oh, flat frequency response, amplification, straight wire with gain. You know all right. these ideas, all these concepts that are abstracts that don't actually, or very rarely do they exist out in the real world. Mm. Um, but yet they they become these these. Um, I can't think of the right word. Um, the goals, you know, these these I ideals, really, they become mm. ideals. Um, and again, back to the point I was, I was making with you know, so Harman trying to appeal to this broad audience. It's not the case with every every hi-fi company. Just simply mm. not the case. You know, some companies could never meet that. Well, many hi-fi companies could never meet that kind of demands that right, Harman right. is capable of. You know, so, and this applies across the board to hi-fi products. I mean, you can mm. certain, and it's obvious, right? That's why loudspeakers at every price point sound different, right? If there was one attainable yes. goal for every loudspeaker, um, you would think that once you got to a certain price point, budget be damned, they'd all pretty much be the sound the same. Or they'd it, be converging towards a, a very similar sound, right? Right, and it could not be further from the truth. Yeah, so. they're, they're very divergent in their sound, aren't they? I mean, yeah. Well, I think we're gonna, you know, this is my clumsy attempt at a lead into our next. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have this idea of the wedge, 
right? Like a door wedge that you use to kind of wedge a door open. Oh, obviously wedge a door open with. In that, there's a fat end and a thin end. And the fat end is your room, your speakers, subwoofer. And the middle of the wedge is mm. your, your amplifier. And then at the sort of skinny, thinner end of the wedge is the, is the DAT and the network streamer, if we're just talking digital. Mm. And I, I do see, and I've done this myself for many years, is over, I do see people overly focusing on the thin end of the wedge, whereas they could get the greater gains from the speakers, the room, subs, that kind of thing. And yet the conversation about streamers and especially DAX mm. is very, very loud out there online. And I would suggest that it's probably disproportionately loud to how much a DAC can do for you relative to changing your speaker, dealing with your room acoustics, adding a sub, filtering the sub. I know these are new concepts for me, which is, I think, why mm. I've sort of shifted towards the thick end of the wedge. And mm. I'm, I'm toying with the idea, Michael, of not reviewing any DACs in 2022. Oh, wow. I'm, pr I'm thinking about just drawing a line under them because it's the thin end of the wedge and I want to kind of concentrate on other stuff. But I, I haven't 100% decided that I'm 99%, right? So if I'm going to do one DAC, it's going to have to be unbelievably special. It's yeah. going to have to be a wow or just be really, really super interesting. But if it's just like a, another dongle DAC or a desktop DAC, I'll cover them on my website, but I'm not going to make any videos about DACs in 2022, I don't think. Um, I do realize yeah, that yeah. I could change my mind on this if something remarkable comes along or there's a dramatic shift in the market or there's an amazing development in the world of DACs. But generally, so I missed what you said because I wanted to ask the question, what would make a DAC, what would grab your interests? I think I'm, I'm more persuaded nowadays by DACs that have streamers built in, so streaming DACs. I, yeah. Right? Because it, it's a point of integration that makes sense in the, having the streamer and inside the DAC. And a lot of high-end companies are doing this now as well, which I think is really interesting. And this is... I can think of two companies right now. We'll get to talk about them in a moment. Mm. Um, but I'm seeing more and more streaming decks come to market. And in many ways, you might say, well, why don't you just have a streamer inside your deck? Because then you get the benefit of shorter signal paths and the manufacturer has kind of sort of tuned the output of one to meet the input of the other. I mean, the, the, the sort of classic argument against integration is is technological obsolescence. You know, mm. like, well, what if my DAC, you know, my streamer doesn't support this, or what if, you know, mm. Tidal goes under? But I think most streaming DACs now, or streamers, sorry, the streaming portion, they tend to feature AirPlay. So you've got Apple Music covered, Spotify Connect. Spotify is not going anywhere. Neither mm. is Apple Music, neither is AirPlay. Chromecast, it's unlikely that Google will pull that rug from underneath us. But you never know. But I, I don't love Chromecast because it's not gapless. Um, mm. And then you've got Rune, which you and I both really, really, really enjoy. Yep. I don't see that going anywhere. But even if it does, you've still got things like Tidal Connect. I really wish Cobas would develop a 
Cobas Connect, so we can hand off the stream from the phone to the streamer. Yeah. That's the one thing I'd love to see from that company um, because it seems to be the one thing that the, well, the only thing they're lacking because unless Apple introduce similar functionality when they introduce AirPlay 3, I think AirPlay is always going to be on a back foot as far as I'm concerned because the stream travels through the phone. Mm. Anyway, I'm going, again, I'm going off on a, one of John's hobby horse tangents <laughs> yeah. again. Right. But like, yeah, streaming DAX is something that I really like because I like having the, the two together also because it's just easy to set up. Actually, there is one DAC I'm, yeah, I see, the MyTech Brooklyn Bridge Mark II. Is that what it's called? The new one? Because that doesn't that integrate Rune Core as well? So you can attach a hard drive to it. I think it does. Yeah, you know what? I'm actually, I'm not sure. I know the Empire, you know, the big, you know, flagship mm. um, does, but. Yeah, I so I think I, I think the new Brooklyn Bridge is going to be like an all-in-one. Mm. So it's going to be a streamer and a server. Mm. I, I could, I guess, I could sort of break my commitment to no tax for that, maybe. But I guess I don't really know how good the implementation is going to be. And also, what's the advantage of having the core inside your streamer and DAC? I mean, I've got a server in my kitchen that runs Rune, so. I guess the only advantage it brings that into the lounge room. But here's the downside is that hard drives are noisy. They spin up, they spin down because I can't afford to buy a four terabyte SSD yet. So I've got a spinning <laughs> drive, right? A yeah. spinning drive and it kind of, you can hear it. And I yes. don't want that in my listening room. So I like it mm. in my kitchen behind me where I can't hear it ever. So I don't know whether I've yet to, to, I, I don't yet know how <laughs> having RuneCore, you know, built inside a DAC is a good thing. I've yet to be convinced, but I, I guess. Well, but yeah, maybe you've got an idea on that. I don't know. It's it's just a guess. I'm just taking a wild guess at this, but I would uh -huh. I would think that as time goes on, I mean, we see it in the in the numbers that are published every year, but mm. you know, downloads, sales are are dropping. And I think, you know, the days of, you know, the six terabyte, the 14 terabyte, believe it or not, I know people, you know, right? 14 terabyte mm. music libraries are, are numbered. I think it's a right. dying breed, you know, that people who, who want to collect, I'm not, and of course we're talking about CD rips as well, but I think that, that that's a shrinking market. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. So it seems to me that streaming is is eating up a, a, a large chunk of that market. But so let's say people still are like, yeah, you know what? I want to buy certain things to support the artists. And and a two terabyte solid state drive it will do it. You know, right. I, it, yeah, again, yeah, good point. Uh, you know, that's so, and it, it's also a convenience factor, right? Like, mm. you know, it used to be, I mean, gosh, back in the early days of audio stream, you know, I would review <laughs> network attached storage devices, right? Right. You know, actually talk about them and what a pain in the ass all that was. But, you know, so some, for some people looking for an easy solution, like, yeah, I want to put some of my downloads, some of my CDs, and, you know, but I really want to stream and, you know, oh, here you go. Mm. You know, two terabytes of solid state storage built right in, one and done. It's kind of, I can see the appeal. 
So what you're saying is, is that Rune's appeal is kind of slowly shifting more towards, when we see it in the interface changes they make, it's more towards a streaming, cloud streaming consumer. So somebody who's got Tidal or Kobos or both. Yeah. And is using those, but then maybe just has two terabytes of favorite music on an SSD. Right. We say yeah. just two terabytes, but... <laughs> That's quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a lot of music. I guess if I was really forced to, I could take my three terabyte or three and a half terabyte library mm. and prune it back to two terabytes without too much grief. I go, okay, well that, you know, 20 album set of ancient methods techno, I can get on Tidal anytime <laughs> I want. So right. I, could well, do, I mean, there, there must be stuff I don't really play as much as I used to as well. So maybe that could be hosed, I'm sure. Because it's it's a collection I've built up over, what, 10, yeah, 10, 15 years. So I've done that. I've whittled my uh, my um, collection down to about two terabytes. Wow. So you're, re- you're readying yourself for the two terabyte SSD. <laughs> well, you know what it was? Uh, you know, I would come across albums that were in my library and I, I would never ever want to listen to them. I wouldn't, couldn't mm. even remember how some of them got there. Like ABBA. I'm like, what the hell <laughs> is ABBA? Like, you know, nothing, <laughs> you know, I understand people like them, but I don't. So, mm. and there were, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, like I'll never listen to this. So why would I have it? And if I ever yeah. got in the mood to, Go on an ABBA binge. I could easily do it with Tidal or Cova. I don't True need enough. to have it. So, yeah, I mean, it is an odd. It's, it's, it is kind of like an old man attitude to, to be concerned about disk storage space it, to a certain extent. Um, I just bought a, a two terabyte drive to use as a backup. Um, it was like $89, you know, a solid state, you know. So Really? Yeah. Yeah, I backed up my music collection last week, actually. I usually do it every six months. Um, but yeah, I finally got around to doing that. And it's always like a... I always have my heart in my mouth a little bit when I'm doing it because I'm thinking, what if the original drive dies <laughs> during the backup process, right? Yes. What if it decides it's had enough of the constant reading and writing of the backup demands? So I wouldn't lose too much. I'd probably use like well, six months' worth of you know, CD rips and downloads, which is not... Like, huge amount but yeah i mean yeah. but you know for me like so i buy a lot of my downloads from bandcamp and they're all still sitting there i could download them again from bandcamp yes all my yeah. purchases so bandcamp acts as one backup for me i guess there is a very strong vocal doomsday contingent of dudes out there who want and i'm one of them actually i think i think subconsciously i must be one of them who wants everything that he could possibly listen to on a hard drive in yeah. my house, <laughs> right? In case Tidal goes down, in case Cobas goes down as well, and like the internet dies for a month, which he never would do, of course he wouldn't. I mean, but, you know, unless Rise mm. of the Machines actually happens and we are sort of forced offline again, I, but I, I don't know, in my head, mm. it's, I guess it's maybe it's an anxiety security thing. Mm. I want to know that I can always play that no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, the, But I know that that's a weird position to have. I know there are lots of other people who kind of would share that viewpoint. A lot of people would just think I'm fucking nuts. Like, you know, why not have a, mi- a healthy mix of offline and online? But I just, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah. See, I have no problem with that. Um, I don't worry about, about, you know, the demise of streaming services. I just don't sweat it. 
But mm. that being said, what I am doing, I sold, uh, it's was, it was over a year ago, I sold my, my, almost my entire record collection. Right. Shit. It was thousands of records. That's, and, a, that's um, an emotional wrench right there. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I am, I am collecting records again, slowly, very slowly. Mm. So that is, um, uh, I, you know, that's, if there are special records, like truly special records, I'm buying the vinyl. Mm. You know, I'm rebuying records I used to own. I'm buying uh, the vinyl version of some new releases that I, I really enjoy. Mm. You know, so that I guess you could say is my, uh, my bunker. You know, records are my, my just-in-case bunker <laughs> collection. I, I see, really, I see CDs as my bunker collection mm. because I can always re-rip them pretty easily. Yeah, like they can be can converted back to a, onto a put it back onto a room server very easily, or a Plex server. You know, because I use Plex a lot. Mm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I guess we've gone way way off track here, Michael. We need to yes. pull it back to so Reel it back we in. did we we did plan to talk today about our favorite DAX at various price points. Mm. We each have made a list. I think we should go in ascending price order. And our first category is, and this is not best, is it? I mean, this is, as we've discussed in a previous podcast, it can't be best because we haven't heard every possible DAC at any price point, let alone all DACs. But yes. we've had a fair amount of experience in reviewing DACs in the last 10 or 12 years, right? You with sure. the audio stream and now with Twitter Machines and me with you know my website. Mm. Um, but I, I think I've gone, well, some... The first one, the first category, you know, sort of favorite DAC under 200 bucks. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll start because I've gone with a fairly left field choice. And that is the topping D10S. And it's it's a hundred dollar DAC. Yeah. It, and it, it doesn't even sound truly amazing. It sounds okay. Well, no, actually, no, it's it's better than okay. It's very good. It's a bit thin. I find mm. a lot of these products that sort of favor driving down distortion at all costs, which I think seems to be Topping's MO at the moment. They can sound very detailed, very clear, but they just lack body. But I didn't choose this DAC because of its sound quality. I chose it because of its extra functionality in that hmm. it has a SPDIF and I think a Toslink output as well. So you can use it as a USB to SPDIF converter. So when you buy a better DAC when you upgrade, okay, you yeah. can still use a topping as the bridge between your laptop or streamer and your new DAC, right? Mm. Assuming the new DAC is not just USB and it has a bit of inputs. And I think it's great for that. And also the topping D10S would be my recommendation for anybody who's got an active loudspeaker that doesn't have a USB input mm. because you can convert it, you know, the USB from your laptop or streamer, convert it to SPDIF and then go into your active speaker on the coaxial input, right? I just thought, for me, the topping is the right balance of sound quality and functionality. That's good. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I didn't know that about the topping. It's not something I've, uh, I've never had one in ha in in barn. So, yeah, I just I bought one on a whim. I just thought yeah. I'll try it out, and. The, I guess the, also it does have Toslink. I'm just looking now, it does. Mm. The other thing I like about it, and I've used this more than I care to admit, <laughs> it has a sample rate display on the front. 
So it tells me what sample rate I'm getting. So if I wanted to be the anal retentive bit perfect person for the afternoon, I can, and I can see what's coming out on the, you know, the USB socket. So I, I find that, yeah, I find that pretty useful. Yeah. So yeah, I've oh. gone com- in really nearly the opposite direction with my pick for under 200. Okay. With my choice. And that is mm-hmm. the THX Onyx uh, portable DAC. Uh-huh. So its functionality is very limited. It's just a DAC. It's a dongle DAC. Yes, dongle DAC. So it works with a phone and with a Mac or a PC, right? Yes. Um, and it, to my mind, it is a, it's a fun-sounding DAC. Mm. Meaning, um, what that means to me, especially when we're talking about, you know, this uh, on the lower end of the price scale, uh, you know, the it, base is not overwhelming, but it's there and it's full and it's and mm-hmm. it, it, and that richness continues up well into the mid range. So mm. it's this rich, meaty sound that to that for me um, never gets tiring. Like I don't tire right. of listening to music through a DAC like that. It's it's mm. just very it's pleasing and satisfying. Yeah, I think I mean dongle DACs seem to kind of taken on a life of their own haven't they because there are quite a few coming to market now and i really do think it's but but they're great because you can use them with a phone you can use them with a a pc or a mac or with as i've done in many videos use them with a raspberry pi Mm. and they they can you know you can unplug it take it to work bring it back plug it into your home system you don't have to have separate DACs for different roles anymore yes and i think you know that's and i think also the um the rubber sheath that connects the USB socket to the body of the DAC is pretty hard wearing from what I remember, right? It's quite long. It is. It's, it's also, yeah, I think overall it's nicely made as well. Mm. It's that um, rubberized finish. Yeah. The connections yeah. are magnetic. So, you know, there's some nice thinking that has gone into the design mm. from uh, industrial design. Uh, right. And that one is... That's two hundred bucks. Am I right? Yeah, one ninety nine. I'm ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Let's step it up to our favorite under five hundred bucks, and we both pick the same thing here. Yeah, we do. Um, uh, it's the Cord Mojo, which, as we well, let's just quickly go over it. It's a battery powered, transportable DAC. I know when John Franks of Cord launched this, he was really going after the the phone market, and I think that was probably a little bit ambitious. Because a lot of people are using it as a, a DAC inside a two-channel hi-fi system. It's that good. Yeah, it really is, yeah. The, the sound quality is incredible, but you obviously can use it with headphones. It's got those three um, bug-eye buttons on it. The color mm. coding can be a bit confusing to remember <laughs> things sometimes, but it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, the, it's, it's supremely detailed. I think soundstage depth is better than average. I think... Um, layer separation is excellent. If I have to ding it for anything, I'd say sometimes it sounds a bit thin, like the topping, bit thin mm, sometimes yeah. in some systems. But obviously you you match it with, if you're using a headphone, match it with a headphone that kind of plays in a nice counterbalance to that. Mm. But I think what's really amazing about this DAC is that people like to say, well, I don't want to buy a new DAC because another one will come along in five minutes that will supersede it, right? Yeah. So they kind mm. of they get stuck in this, I'm not buying a DAC because I'm worried about the future moment. And yet the Mojo was, uh, when was it launched? Was it 
the end of 2015, I think it was. I think it was October 2015. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's back in my order stream days. Yeah, it's a, right. It's, yep. And it's, it's battery-powered, and, yeah, it works with a phone. It works with a, a laptop, again, with a Raspberry Pi. You can connect the, the, the power input to the wall and leave it running. It has this sort of trickle-charge hmm. thing inside. I guess it's micro USB inputs on both the USB data and the power are looking a bit long in the tooth now. That's probably another you know, reason to sort of criticize it in the context of modern units. But mm. it's still, it's still like if I get a DAC in to review, which won't be this year, <laughs> if I do get one in, the, the Mojo is, is I guess, the, the DAC that I want to compare it to the most. Because I want to see how it plays out. Yeah, and the and f I think the design is is really it's distinctive. I put it yep. that way. Whereas the topping stuff to me always looks like, uh, you know, like if I think there were sci-fi movies where you'd walk into a store and it was all generic products with white labels yeah. and they would say like beer on them or cereal. That like the topping stuff to me is is has about as much appeal as. A tin can, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I guess you could, yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from, and I, I guess you could say you could level that complaint at SML, SL. Is it Gustard or Gustard? I don't know how you say that, but a, a lot of these Chinese brands, there, you could argue that they're saving the consumer money well, by not wasting money on a blingy blingy case, right? But, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the, the Mojo yeah. is not a blingy case, is it? I mean, I'm kind of, I don't want to contradict myself. It's not blingy. It's just, it's unusual. It's not everybody's taste, but yes. Come on, like if you're putting it in a hi-fi system, it's a tiny sort of just barely bigger than a matchbox kind of DAC that yeah. you could tuck it. Well, it's about the size of a Raspberry Pi. You could tuck it away out of sight pretty easily, right? It's got a Toslink input. It's got a um, coaxial input that actually weirdly uses, for space reasons, a three and a half mil uh, termination. Mm. So if you want to use it as a coax DAC, you're going to have to get a special cable mm. for that. But again it's a it's a minor complaint and yeah i think it's amazing that this deck has been so good for so long yeah i agree yeah it's withstood the test of time for sure it really has <laughs> i see we've both chosen the same deck for our favorite under a grand maybe you want to lead on this one michael sure it's the Dennett fripps aries 2 so that um i checked uh, this morning, current U.S. price is let's say roughly seven hundred and eighty dollars. Uh huh. And it's like um, it, it's smaller than a half size component, I would think. But it's a tiny desktop size DAC. It's like a it's like a hardback book, isn't it? An average size hardback hardback book. Yeah. Re yes, it is. Um, and it's pretty straightforward design wise. Um, nothing super fancy about about the casework, although it's it's perfectly fine looking black. On the back side, the Aries 2 offers uh, as USB input, two optical and two coax inputs. Mm -hmm. And on the output side, there's single-ended and balanced XLR out. It's kind mm. of unusual at this price point, I would suggest. Yeah, I don't know whether it's true balance i'm not sure i don't want to kind of cast aspersions unnecessarily but i think one thing that customers should ask 
of manufacturers or their dealer or whatever, if you're buying a component beneath the grand, make, you know, and you're curious about the balanced outputs, you might want to ask if it's true balanced in that it, are there sort of two circuit routes through the DAC all the way through where one carries one half or one phase, one half of the signal and the other carries the other phase yeah. of the signal, right? Yeah. Because obviously they use to cancel each other out before the XLR output. But I think it's, yeah, it's worth checking that. But the thing is about the Denifrip Series 2 is that it's an R2R DAC, which is, I think, what makes it very unusual beneath the grand. I mean, there are other many R2R DACs beneath the grand. I'm not so sure there are. You know, except for that that that, that new dongle DAC from that you, didn't you cover it? Yeah, Kayin got a new dongle DAC, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's rare. I would suggest, yeah, it is rare to find... A ladder deck at that price point. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this is the time to go into what a ladder deck is, Ugh. other than to say it's kind of how DACs sort of used to be desi designed before Delta Sigma chips kind of took over. Mm. Um, and they're a lot cheaper to implement. They kind of work in a, I guess you kind of, no, I'm not going to go into it. Fuck it. I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> it's not yeah, good. I do think it, it, you know, that is something, you know, when we've, if we choose to talk about it and 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 dig in, I think it might lend more weight to the outcome than it deserves. In other words, there's this thing like, oh, well, I I can only listen to ladder decks. I can only listen to non-oversampling decks. Oh, all decks that have the ESS, they blah 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 chips sound the same. You know, this all these kind of uh, again these overgeneralizations. Uh, I don't think. Um, carries much weight as, as we're given sometimes. Yeah, I guess it's 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 important to point out that not all ladder or R2R DACs sound amazing and not all Delta Sigma DACs sound terrible. Yeah. Because they're not the sound quality is not only determined by the bit of circuitry circuitry that does the DA converting itself, but also power supply, output stage, input stage. Yes. Right? So those are the, the things that are sort of wrap around that DA converting part of a DAC matter. I guess some designers tell me more, um, but people do love to kind of get hung up on, well, the, like we've discussed before, they love to get talk about these things as filters, right? Because mm. if they can dismiss all Delta Sigma DACs, for example, and just focus on Artois ladder DACs, it makes their decision process much easier. It simplifies their decision tree, sure. right? Yes. So I can sort of see why people do it, but there's no magic bullet. Just because it's R to R doesn't mean it's going to sound great, <laughs> yeah. right? It's just yeah. that's not the case. Yes. It depends upon the implementation. So one of the features that the Aries does offer is uh, you can, it can be run in uh, non-oversampling mode or oversampling mode. Um, mm. A click of a few of the front panel buttons. So no need to argue about which is better. You have the you can actually just use whichever you prefer. <laughs> the sound. I, think, of. I, I hope I remember this correctly. I think I had a fairly strong preference for the oversampling mode. Yeah, um, I preferred the oversampling mode as well. And there are, and there are two filter choices associated with the oversampling yes. mode. Um, a slow and fast, I think is what they call them. And I preferred the mm. slow, but again, yeah. these are just options. So included options. So, you know, you can pick whichever you like, or you can go back and forth. I actually, mm. 
um, it's just nice to have. It is nice to have options. I think it's also worth repeating again. This is not us rattling off what we think are the best DACs. There might be other DACs beneath the ground that outperform the Aries II sonically. We're just talking about what we've heard, right? Oh, yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would never suggest... I mean, we get back to this is one of the things that I beat to death. I would never talk about a best. These are my mm. favorites. And uh, by, right. um, by definition of favorite, there are things I've listened to. Right. You know, of the things I've heard, this is my favorite un, uh, at this price point. Yeah. I, I, Under I, two, yeah. I, oh, I just want to add, though, um, and not to be contradictory, but I think it's a hell of a DAC for $780. I agree. Mm. Yeah, it is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, okay, two under $2,000. Mm. You have picked another Denifrips. <laughs> yes, I have. The Denifrips Pontus II. Mm -hmm. uh, it's $1,800. Right. Um, and essentially... You know, architecture-wise, it's the same. It's a ladder deck. Mm -hmm. uh, and what you're paying for with the increased price or essentially upgraded internals, dual power mm. supply, they're fairly scale proportion-wise to the size of the chassis and the size of the decks. There are pretty massive power supplies in these little decks. Huh. Uh, mm. And so, yeah, you go from a single... Uh, power supply in the Aries to dual power supplies in the Pontus mm -hmm. um, and other parts upgrades, some upgrades yeah. to the chassis, but it's, it's essentially, you know, very similar in that um, it's, it's a ladder deck that offers oversampling, non-oversampling um, the same. Sh oh, they call it sharp or slow uh, digital yeah. reconstruction filters. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, uh, both of these Denifrips DACs, I, I have to say, they're just a pleasure to listen to mm. over even, you know, days and days and days and days and weeks of time. Um, just a pleasure to listen to. I think it's worth mentioning that the um, Pontus does offer an I squared S input. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, you would need a DDC um that offers I squared S out. Uh, mm. Denifrips has one, has a uh -huh. number of them actually different price points. Um, but no, and, and I did find that the I squared S uh, input was my favorite. <laughs> I'll say. Mm. But you can, you know, it's got a full suite of, of inputs just like the Aries. So right. not limited to I squared S. But I guess when you're, Comparing digital filters, the sound of, yes, or comparing the sound of inputs, you're really at the very thin end of the, this wedge that I talk about, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's like um, it's it's like um, if you're cooking, it's like you know, t comparing different spices or something. Mm. Not even you know, not even like maybe different peppers different kinds of ground pepper, you know, it's right. that, it's that kind of difference. Right. You know, and you could spend days talking about different kinds of pepper. And it's like, but wait, what is it that we're going to eat? <laughs> you know, that's the more important thing. So yeah. Yeah. Very thin end of the wedge. 
the Ares 2 is one of the few decks where I did notice a more pronounced difference between the sharp and the slow filter. Mm. I too preferred the slow. Mm. And I can't, I think I went into it because I was like, hang on a minute. I don't like the NOS as much as I like the oversampling mode. Let's see what those other two things do. And I went into that a bit. It was like, clearly for me, the slow roll off filter there yes. was yeah. audibly superior. I don't want to say that, but you know, I, I liked it more. Yeah. But generally speaking, if a DAC comes along and it's got a whole bunch of different filters, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I just, they, they make so little difference. I tend to go for like either a minimum phase or a slow roll off, but yeah. that may be just my internal prejudices built up over the years to, I don't know, like fast roll off. Maybe I don't like that too much. I don't know. But uh, the DAC that I picked at this price point under 2K is the RME. ADI 2 FS. And I, I chose this one because it's it's a digital preamp, so it has a volume control on it. It has single-ended and XLR balanced outputs. So you can you know, go direct into a power amplifier, pair of active speakers if you mm. want to. It has two headphone sockets on the front that can be independently controlled. And one of them is IEM specific. So Already, it's a kind of real sort of all-in-one workhorse, but it, mm -hmm. it goes further than that because you can apply EQ to each of those outputs. So you can dial in, and you can see it on a graph, so you can specify a frequency, mm. a Q, and then a, a dB boost or dip to just tune well, the headphone response or the speaker response to your taste or to your room or whatever. And I just thought that was magical. When I was playing around with that, I thought this is fantastic because it offers so much flexibility. And for me, that flexibility, this is a personal thing, I guess, is, mm. especially with the headphones, is more important than the difference between sound, yeah, the difference between the RME sound quality and another DAC sound quality. I just I don't care as much about those differences as much as I would care about what can I do with this product with this particular RME. It's it's made in Germany. It's got a manual that's like a mile thick. It's a it's the manual is just a sight to behold, mm. and it goes through all sorts of stuff. It's 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 fascinating. It's a fascinating read if you can kind of plow through it. But I guess the one thing to note with the, this RME is that because of the AKM factory fire, they had to cut over from mm. AKM chips to ESS chips. So it has changed in the last year or so since I bought and reviewed one um yeah i think it's it's a wonderful deck it's just and it's small and it has a nice display and it has a great remote yeah it's got a remote control so you can just sit on your couch and yeah i think you can even flip the filters and do the thing do some adjustments from the listening position if you're you know listening to loudspeakers so i guess there's a bit of a theme developing here because i do love extra functionality from decks right yeah. You know how I said, like, I like the streaming built in, or I like you can use it as a USB to spit off converter. Now, this one is, you know, this is tunable, as the HeadFi people love to say. HeadFi people love the word tuning. <laughs> they love to talk about headphones tuning. Yeah. This word was not in the vernacular mm. five years ago, but it absolutely is now. Oh, but also, yeah, the preamp uh, uh, feature is, 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 you know, really nice to have it, you know, it, as a, a cost saving. Options. Some people prefer not to have a preamp in their system. So, 
They do. I, I'm not one of them. I'm not I do either, prefer, yeah. I, I like to sound more, sorry, I like to sound better when I've got a preamp between the DAC and the power amp, just because it adds more body and substance to the sound. That's my experience. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I'm also in the same camp, just to make it clear. I always prefer, well, I actually prefer an integrated amp. So, but nonetheless. Yeah, that is the tidiest. Has thing, a yeah. preamp in the, uh, <laughs> in, in the one box, but I prefer a preamp in the system. All right, let's move it along yeah. um, because you do not have, you have expressed no preference for DACs under 3K. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I didn't have any, um, anything that really jumps out at that price point. I could only really think of one that I thought was a real standout below 3K and that is the shit Dressel, the original. No, actually, no, not the original, the analog two, which I thought was fantastic. Hmm. Great. Also, a an R to R ladder design done by Mike Moffat. Um, it's shit's flagship DAC, although they have two other variations now. And one is best measuring, one is subjectively best sounding. Uh, right. And I think they're going to see which one sells the best and then ditch the mm. other. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see you know, what happens there. It's a nice little experiment they're yeah. doing. But I think that would be my pick in terms of value at you know, a fairly significant price point because spending more than 2K on a deck is a lot of money. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's it, it's a it's a good sounding piece. I, I don't really, I cannot think of anything else. I'm sure there are loads of decks between two and three grand that are out there doing great things, but I just either haven't noticed or certainly haven't reviewed them. So, and I think also I, I did struggle actually with trying to pick something beneath 5K. I really did. I was, I, I could only find... Mm one that really sort of fit the bill because I was going to choose the Resonescence Invicta Mirrors, but A, that company is no more. Yeah. And B, I don't think that, that DAC sold for less than five. But what mm. did, see, it's now it's my turn to go back to Denifrips. Denifrips Terminator. Because <laughs> uh, I think it's a fantastic sounding DAC. And I really, I do think it kind of gives what I'm about to talk about below 10k a run for their money i won't go there yet but i just thought yeah i'm not going to rehash the denifrips recipe we know they do ladder decks this is a it's a very beefy unit which it has, it has i think multiple layer circuit boards so it's um has a whacking great toroidal transformer in mm. there not that that necessarily tells you anything but um yeah it's a fantastic sounding DAC for the money maybe because and let's not forget, is to generally Denifrips sell direct from a dealer, Vinshine Audio in Singapore, yes. right? So not, they don't really have a dealer network to speak of that would add several thousand dollars to this DAC if it was sold through showrooms. Yeah, there's no distribution and no dealer network. Yeah, those two, those two steps of, of course. So, yeah, true enough. Yeah. Yeah, but you, your choice below 5K was a DAC that I've not heard. Yeah, this is the um, the Sonnet Digital or Sonnet Digital Audio is the company name and the Morpheus DAC. It's 3400. Mm. And this is um I think most people would know or more people would know Metrum Acoustics. Yes, it's Case's new company. It is. Right? It's Case for Metrum yeah. Acoustics new company. Um and it really is for all intents and purposes, it, it's a uh, 
it's it's a deck that's that comes out of the whole the Metr the Metrum heritage that that mm. used the the uh, the deck modules that Case designed from ground up. Right. Um, and then you know uh, this is that. Sorry, is that another land? land it is. Deck? It's an art. There are two R deck modules, and actually, he sells them. You can actually buy the models if you want to build your own deck, but mm. and they're they're oh, not okay. inexpensive. But yeah, so the um, the Morpheus deck is uh, is a R two R deck. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't think I want to dig in much beyond that. Um, you know, no, th that's fair you enough. Technology-wise, I, th I was just thinking it's kind of interesting that how many R to R decks we've picked so yeah, far. We've got the Ares two, the Pontus two, the Dressel, the uh, the Morpheus. So it's it, the there really is kind of a for us a strong lean away from decks that use off the shelf decks. So chips. far, it seems to be that way, right? And I, that brings me into the uh, the under ten k category mm. because I've actually got two choices here. The first mm. one. I guess I should. We should go back to the Cord Mojo thing and just remind mm. people that that does not use an off-the-shelf DAC chip. It uses an FPGA, ah, yeah. which is loaded with code written by Rob mm -hmm. Watts, right? Yes. And that's also the the kind of recipe that PS Audio used for their direct stream DAC, yes. which is one of my under 10k picks. In that, its core decoding and processing engine is an FPGA with code written by Ted Smith, right? So it's an, it upsamples everything to a crazy high um, sampling rate and then converts it to DSD and then outputs it through a very simple output stage um, as if it were a DSD stream. Mm. So it's a very unusual design. But again, this DAC has been around for a few years. I still think it sounds fantastic. And I've said it many times before, this is the DAC you kind of go to if you're coming off the vinyl wagon, you know, if you if you're worried mm. about quitting vinyl and you want to go to a DAC for the first time, I would suggest you go and listen to the direct stream above everything else first because it's it has that you know how like DSD <laughs> okay I'm going to generalize here DSD streams have that kind of slightly warm feel to yes. them slightly rich. I like that, and it works well in the direct stream. It's another unusual sounding DAC, and it's worth pointing out, especially with the direct stream, that because it's let's just say software based, the conversion yeah. process they have come mm. out with any number of revisions. Yes, they've had loads of software updates over the years. That, Maybe that I have not, yeah, I yeah. haven't um, experienced any of these changes. It's been a long time since I reviewed that deck. But from everything mm. I've read, you know, some of these uh, uh, firmware upgrades, we say, right, um, have, have changed mm -hmm. sound. You know, yes. have changed. Yes, they have. So. Actually, and do you know what? Not always for the better. Because I remember people complaining <laughs> yeah. about one update and then the following update kind of corrected for some of the gr grumbles. Yeah. So they took on the feedback. So it's also it's kind of a feedback mm. loop with the user base. And I guess the other thing, Thank you for reminding me about the firmware upgrade thing because I'd forgotten about mm. that. The other thing about the direct stream deck is it accommodates a uh, network streaming card. You can slide it and clip it into the back and screw mm. it in. And there you've got like room readiness and Spotify Connect, I believe, and I think UPnP, but I never use UPnP, so I'm not entirely sure. But definitely Rune and Spotify Connect. And it's all in one box. It's the streaming deck Nirvana that I really, really enjoy. Yeah. 
Talking of which, actually, can I, can I, sorry, can I go straight into my, because I, I was kind of torn <laughs> and also the, the Auralic Vega G 2.1 also has a streamer inside. Okay, sure. It has, it has streaming capabilities and it has Lightning DS, which is Auralic's own system. It has Rune Ready, AirPlay, Spotify Connect, um, UPnP Amazon again. now. So it has Amazon now, yes, built into the Lightning DS, which obviously also includes Tidal and Covers. Yeah. What I like about the Auralic Vega G2.1 is that not only does it have a streaming module, but it also has an analog input that talks to a very, a th- yeah, a very sophisticated resistor ladder volume control. Mm. So it can work as an analog preamp as well as a streaming mm. DAC or digital preamp. So it's like the two worlds coalescing. So I can feed my phono stage into the back of an Aura G2.1, sorry, Vega G2.1, and not have to worry about a separate preamp. Again, those caveats of going direct into a power amp, well, they applied less to this. This, Do you know, I, I didn't really miss the preamp as much with the Vega G2.1 as I would with the, the RME. Mm-hmm. So I think this might be one of those rare digital preamp streaming DACs that can go direct into power amplifier without too much quibbling from me anyway, you know, internally. But I guess I'm, I'm mentioning this Vega because when I reviewed that, I was, I compared it to the direct stream Mm. and I just couldn't pick a favorite because the functionality factor again, it varies so much. Like, well, if you need, if you, if you're a turntablist, you're probably going to pick the, the Vega G 2.1. But if you don't do vinyl, you don't have an analog source. Well, then the direct stream makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. So my selection for under 10 is the Weiss DAC 501, which comes mm-hmm. in at 8995. Um, and I'm kind of stepping into your territory with this selection in that um, the Weiss is, is feature rich, I would say. Okay. As it's, I mean, it does in, in include what seems to be fairly common these days. It has a headphone, uh, front mounted headphone jack. However, it's got a room correction built in. Huh. And all, and, 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 and a number of other DSP based features um, mm. that I, I did actually, you know, dig into them a bit when I reviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, this the Y stack, and um, I found them all like very useful. So the room correction, mm. you know, it's a room EQ. Uh, you know that's that that can be so much more important. It's certainly always more important than SPDIF versus sauce, like whatever. All these other right. we were calling or I was calling seasonings. You know, room correction mm. can make a dramatic uh, difference in sound quality. Yes, I, I would peg room correction or room compensation software mm. as more impactful on what we hear than any DAC. You know, the differences between the sound quality of DACs isn't as potent as, you know, for example, what Lingdorf's room correction does or Dirac does. I've not heard the Weiss system so i can't really talk mm. to that but does the weiss the weiss stack if it's got dsp inside and it's got room correction inside well 
also DSP, then it must also have a streamer inside, yes, right? Yes, it is a streaming DAC, yeah. Right. So it ha- what does it do, Room? It certainly does. I mean, it does. It, it also can act as a preamp. It's got a volume control. Okay. And yeah, the manual is, is, uh, is book size. Uh, because re- the DSP, right, like- yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but the DSP uh, features mm. are, are long, uh, are long. And it's also, you know, I have to say, um, sound quality wise, I fell in love with that deck. I really did. Right. Yeah, and I was, I was kind of surprised because I had reviewed at least one, I think maybe two, Dax from mm. uh, Daniel Weiss uh, during my audio stream days, and while I liked them, um, I was a little uh, found them a little cold, if I can say it that way. Mm. Um, and that was absolutely not the case with this. Uh, it's also a half size. The five hundred one uh, is a half size component, and I love the size. You know, it's mm. just it's it's beautifully made, and um, it kind of does everything that I w- well. I should clarify that everything that I'm interested in. You right. Know. I mean, I'm a big fan of half size components because, as I've crapped on about many times in my videos, they can fit inside the Calax, mm. IKEA Calax cube holes. Yeah. And I do that quite a lot in, in my room now because I've got a lot of those. And I don't always want to have gear on my sideboard, which is in front of my front wall in front of me here. So sometimes I want to move everything off to the side, and it has some of it has to fit inside. The Calax Cube. So like the Weiss is what I call Calax Fi. Mm. I mean, right now I'm looking at a couple of other components that are like that. And I think having those sort of half-width components is a, is a real boon nowadays. And also, like, you don't always need to have a full-width box to justify your expense, yes. right? If it all fits inside a half-width chassis, then yeah. fine. Yeah. And uh, one thing, I'll, uh, one last thing I'll say about the Weiss stack, and it was something I brought up in the... Uh, in the review is I find because mm. of all these DSP features, I will touch on one other. They, they, he um, Weiss calls it the creative equalizer. It's essentially a tone control. Mm-hmm. So you can, you know, uh, outside of room EQ, you can, you can, f- you can flavor the output to taste. And what? That's heresy. Yes. So to my mind, that <laughs> makes this stack easier to recommend to a broader group of people because you can tailor its sound to your taste yeah so you know i think that's for me again it makes it like an easier deck to recommend to a broader in a a broader way it's not just a one-trick pony in terms of its sound you know it's got all Mm -hmm. these dsp tricks up its sleeve yeah i can't remember does the um does the Auralic have a parametric EQ? Well, oh, I, I reviewed the, the lower-priced Auralic, and it does, so mm. I'd assume that the one you reviewed. Yeah, okay. So the, there must be some, yeah, there's some EQ functionality there yes. as well, which which obviously then uh, gets applied to all streaming inputs and not just Rune, which is if you use their EQ in the back end on the sure. core, only applies to Rune, right? I, 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 I do like products where the eq is sort of universally applied across everything especially as a turntable fiend like as the more i get into vinyl well it's been eight or nine years now so whatever mm. um well in this run anyway so the more i want 
you know, my EQ options to, you know, include that vinyl because otherwise if room correction only is only to my streaming, mm. maybe I'll, I'll just, I'll just stream more and I won't play any <laughs> records anymore because streaming sounds, you know, better, better match the room than the vinyl does. Anyway, that's, mm. that's going off the track again, but all right, let's go for the big guns, yes. Michael. Because you, you, we've both chosen two DACs here as our favorites over 10K. Yeah, I did. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Now, of, of the, our two picks, we have both chosen a DCS DAC. You've gone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say what you've gone sure. for here. You've gone with the Rossini. I went with the Bartok. I've not heard the Rossini. And I haven't heard the Bartok. <laughs> that was just why. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would have to say, I have heard the Bartok out and about, you know, at shows and mm. dealers and things, um, uh, but I, mm. I won't put a, a f something on my favorite list that I haven't actually spent time with here. So Right, fair yeah. enough. But my strong suspicion is if I did spend time with the Bartok here, it would be on my list. Right. Yeah. But you, I mean, you like the Rossini. I've not heard that. I guess that's a higher end model. Yes. Right? That's, Yeah. Um, that doesn't have a streaming input, does it, the Rossini? Or does it Yeah, now? no, it does, yeah. Okay, okay, it does. Because the Bartok does as well, but they have an option where you've got a, a headphone amp built in, so it becomes this headphone amp, and they've been digging into crossfeed, DSP crossfeed, in the last year or so. I think the crossfeed on it is re really, really excellent in that. So what crossfeed does is it tries to make a headphone sound closer to what we hear when we sit in front of a pair of loudspeakers. Because when you sit in front of loudspeakers, both ears hear both speakers. Whereas with headphones, only your right ear hears the right channel, left ear, left channel, and the crossfeed kind of blends the two a little bit. This is becoming a bit of a fashion amongst digital DSP processed headphone amp designers at the moment. I think it's a good thing because it gives you, again, another option to see if you like it, you don't have to use it. It's an option. Yeah. You can turn it on and off, I'll right? To, yeah. And sometimes, the, right. I, I prefer it on. I like. I, th I really do in, in the bar talk. I yeah, the it. waist tackle. That's another feature in that DSP right. suite. Is, yeah, they do cross talk as well. So yeah. But yeah, the DCS DAX. I mean, the the Rossini is um, is one of two of my all time favorite DAX. Yeah. Okay. I've, I, I, yeah, yeah, I can't comment. I've mm. never heard it. Okay, so, but for me, just edging the Bartok on sound quality through loudspeakers, not on mm. headphones, but through loudspeakers is the Mola Mola Tambaki. Mm -hmm. it, ha it has a bit more microdynamic avidity. It sounds a little bit more alive. It's not quite as laid back. And it's very brilliant and beautiful. I guess that's how I would describe it. Obviously, that's a very subjective way of describing a sound quality but you know that's more what i do and it has the tambaki has um code designed by bruno putzis on a chip inside well it's an algorithm really i think it's got a streaming input that is rune ready and it has a headphone output which is annoyingly on the back of the dac but for me it's the it's the best dac i've ever heard the mola mola tambaki is the best DAC I've yeah. ever heard. There are probably better DACs out there, probably probably more expensive. Maybe they're less expensive. I don't know. But yeah, you know, in the here and now, 
Tambaki is a wow. I think it's a fantastic sounding DAC. Crazy expensive as well, like for most people. But as I've said in my coverage before, if you're someone like me and you don't own a car, you know, a car is, what, 10, 15 grand, even a good second-hand car is 10, 15 Easy, grand. Yeah. I, I don't need to buy a car, so I have the disposable income, as many people like me do, to go and buy a high-end DAC if I want to, yeah. right? But I, I guess I like the Tambaki because it's a streaming DAC with a headphone output if I want, want it. So, uh, well, yeah, I should also add that the, the volume control is done via an app, which I'm not the biggest fan of. Not the app itself. It's just generally I don't like to use a volume mm. slider on an app to control volume to headphones that are on my head. It just makes me nervous. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the kind of the grumpy old man in me. Much rather have a physical volume control, but still it works. It sounds great with headphones. I actually think the headphone amp in the Bartok is better. So if I was just listening to headphones, I'd pick the Bartok. But I'm kind of more of a speaker's listener guy than headphones, even though I do headphones. Mm. So for me, it's the Tambaki. Yeah, so so a brand I, I rarely speak about, you, you, may, yeah. you may or may not have heard, is a Total Deck. <laughs> you know, mm. I've been writing about Total Deck since 2000, roughly 2011. I first heard of Total Deck at the Munich show. Um, and then I think it was 2012 when I reviewed when I first reviewed a deck from total deck and they are ladder decks and essentially the difference in, in the entire lineup of total decks mm. has to do with how many of the uh, ladder boards there are inside. It's one of the, it's uh-huh. one of the main areas of cost uh, in the decks, but the one I picked as my favorite is the total deck D one tube MK two which is roughly 10 grand. Mm. It's, it's 9,100 euro. Um, and it's just a deck. Right. No volume, you know, no. And it's a single-ended output, but it is, uh, it ranks right up there. Uh, I would say the total deck and the DCS for me still are, are kind of in their own ballpark. You know, mm. people, yeah, you know, okay. people are knocking on the yeah. door, getting into the in the parking lot, but not quite all the way in in that same category for me. All right, then. Well, then we've done it. We've done we've done DAX. We've done our favorite DAX. Yeah. Um, let us never speak about DAX ever again. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know you will, but I, I'm gonna, like I say, I'm gonna take a pause this yeah. year before we finish today. Can we can we give everybody a recommended album? Yeah, for sure. Why don't you go first? All right, uh, my my pick this month is actually nothing to do with electronic music. It's uh, an album called I Have Nothing to Say to the Mayor of LA. It's by a chap called Dean Wareham. And it's sort of strummy, easy listening-ish indie rock music. It has heavy Velvet Underground flavor. It's it's super easy to listen to. Um, People will know Dean Wareham as the lead singer of Luna, and he also used to be the lead singer of Galaxy 500. Okay. It's just it's just a really pleasant, pleasing, uh, just non-offensive listen, but interesting nonetheless. I, I, I mean, I've, I've been a fan of Luna for years and Galaxy 500 as well. So, yeah. So, Dean Wareham, I have nothing to say to the mayor of LA. Great title. Yeah. So, I've gone in, in the other direction uh, 
with my pick. Uh, the album title is Made mm-hmm. Out of Sound, and it features Bill Orcutt on guitar and Chris Corsano on drums. Is this jazz? Or- that is debatable, you know. Certainly Chris Corsano um, comes out of that free jazz world. He's played with people like um, uh, Peter Bratzman, you know, uh, who's who's a uh, famous free jazz uh, German saxophone player. I've seen mm-hmm. him live. He's a beast. Um, and Bill Orcutt uh, in the '90s had a band called Harry Pussy with his wife huh. and others. And when, but that it was '90s only. So he took some time off uh, from producing any kind of music, and he's put out a bunch of solo records. This is the third outing for this pairing, uh, and it's just mm-hmm. wonderful. It's it can be a bit challenging in that free jazz kind of way, uh, you know, yeah. dissonant. But I but uh, that being said, it's to my mind the most uh, beautiful record they've made together. Yeah, it's just lovely. It's just love challenging, but lovely. So I'll put links to the, both those albums in the show notes, as well as a lot of the other stuff that we've spoken about today. Uh, Michael, we're about to hit two hours, so let's kind of call time on this podcast. Thank you once again for, yeah, spending time chatting about nerdy audio gear. (laughs) Always a pleasure. You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavornia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt.